Hello and welcome to Superhero Ethics. On this week's episode, we're discussing the idea of clones and being uploaded and different consciousnesses. We're going deep into science fiction using altered carbon and a number of different stories as reference points to discuss who is the self and what are we accountable to when numerous versions of ourselves are running around doing things. All that more after a commercial break that I have no control over, but maybe my clone does. Welcome back. I'm Matthew. I'm your host. Joining me, as is becoming pretty common when we dive into some of the more uh, deep and philosophical questions from science fiction, is Rob McKenzie. Rob, how are we doing today? Uh, doing pretty well. Had a had an average work day, and I'm excited about talking about people's brains being copied, basically. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> Rob, you are now at that status point for me with guests where... There's a couple of specific topics that sometimes I'll think of and I want to have you on. I definitely want to get you back at some point for Magic the Gathering. Yeah. I'm at some point going to get you back on the Star Wars bandwagon to t- when we start talking about some of the Legends canon novels and things like that. But I know also every now and then I can just poke you and go, hey, I want to have you on. What do you want to talk about? And you're always going to bring up something that is a little more esoteric than what I normally talk about. <laughs> and every time you bring up the topic and at first I am like, I have no idea what he's talking about. I think he's just too smart for me. <laughs> And then we get into it, and I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work, but then it turns out to be a great podcast. So, as always, you brought up a topic, and I was like, okay, cool. Let's let, by, by now, you've earned my trust. I think we can run with this. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, this is just a continuation of a previous episode in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we, yeah. had, um, we had an episode w- that we recorded that was all about the, the future of, like, uploading people at all, right? Right. Like what is what are the ethics of of the future of people's brains in non-human bodies in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? And the that episode leads smoothly into assuming uploads happen. Uh, there's a lot of weird legal and social and ethical and societal questions all related to right. It, it, my brain is no longer connected to this hunk of meat that is my body, right? No, I think that's a great way to praise it. And I should be clear as we start out that for what we're talking about today, you know, often we are first of all, this this episode is very much about the science fiction side of the superhero genre that we right. that we discuss. And often I will do an episode where it's based specifically on a particular piece of media. Uh just last week we put up an episode about X-Men Dark Phoenix. We had a lot of fun with it. We kind of wandered around a a couple of different ethical questions all related to that movie. <clears throat> Today we're doing something on the opposite end of the spectrum. And I want to be clear, if you have no idea the different movies or TV shows that we're referencing, that's fine. Because today, I think what we really want to do is dive into these specific questions that science fiction and and these kind of stories often brings up. And we're going to reference the different stories that do, but much more we want to get into the questions themselves. And and so with that, let me me kind of just use that to um, talk about what is the question we're getting into. We're talking about this idea of being uploaded. <clears throat> and this is a concept you see in science fiction a lot. I think Altered Carbon on Netflix, which Matthew Caroline did a, a great series on that you can find on the Pandavision podcast, is a great example of it. But it's a, it's a theme that we see in science fiction all the time. And Rob, fill, fill it... Eh. And Rob, fill this in as you would. I think the base of it is the idea, like you said, of what happens when we can separate the human bo- the human brain... And then let me also get questions into or the human mind or the human soul, the human consciousness from the human body. Right. And when the the essence of a person can leave their body and either just enter into a computer writ large or enter into another, you know, flesh sack. Is that, is that about kind of the, the yeah. essence of what we're talking about here? Yeah, that's that's about it. And there's it's treated in different ways by a lot of different authors and a mm-hmm. lot of different media producers. So you have basically the the there is only one of a person you can copy, but you you can copy somebody over and it deletes the old one, um, right? In some way, or there's some ironclad law against running multiple copies. Altered Carbon has this in the books, and it's it's mentioned in passing in the in the show um, mm-hmm. that there that you can't you can't run multiple copies of yourself, and right. the 
um, Jamie the twin is running two copies of himself, which is super illegal, and carries right. the the penalty of deletion, right? And it it isn't really dug into much, but that's his that's his way of getting around it. Is he's made he's made people immortal and copyable, and then makes it illegal to do the second half of that, right? right. And that and then there's in so for instance the the old man's war books by John Scalzi, mm-hmm. they copy consciousness from one body to another, and when they do that, there's a there's a brief instant where the bodies lock eyes, and then the old body just gives up the ghost and decides to right. die. And it's it's a very convenient plot point that there aren't multiple <laughs> copies of anybody running around. Yeah, I can understand those. Well, it, it, it's funny because earlier we had you on to talk about the idea of time travel, right? And how you know time travel. One of the things it does is to create all sorts of ethical paradox. Not even ethical, but just like it create right. paradoxes of causality and things like that. And we talked about how like the time travel we like tends to be the one where they do put rules in to some extent that that at least explain how that happens. Right here, I think we're getting into it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a paradox per se. But it gets into similar questions because everything we understand about the consciousness is that it is one single entity. So part of that idea of like if you copy yourself, like what, what can can the self be copied? Can it can it be reproduced? All these are just fascinating questions to explore. Right, and it, like the the way that we're probably going to probably going to have it happen, as we talked about in the previous one, is having a an expert system learn to respond exactly the same as you. Uh, that's the mm. that's the easy way. So if I have a computer that spends all of its time with me, right, and it learns to respond exactly as me, and it's the same as me in, in a, all but a very diminishingly small number of cases, like it responds right. the same to every input, is that me? If it thinks it's conscious, is it conscious? If it claims to be conscious, is it, is it conscious? Uh, right. But we, we talked about that previously, so we don't have to get into that that much. We can just assume for the sake of <clears throat> saying so, yes. <laughs> you, you can copy you can copy somebody's mind either that way or using more uh, destructive methods and right. you can get two copies of, of the person's mind right and right. that could be or you can get two copies of the physical person cloning right that mm-hmm. it, cloning isn't that much different right For, it, like it, like perfect duplicate clones that retain all the memories uh, there's a classic Star Trek episode or Star Trek the next generation where uh, William Riker gets cloned via transporter accident, right? Mm-hmm. And Thomas Riker, they're, they're pretty, they they don't even go into the, a lot of the depths of it. Thomas Riker is a Starfleet officer at a lower rank. He didn't get all the promotions William Riker did. Right. And, it, like, it raises some questions. Is he a member of Starfleet? Should he get yeah. back pay? Should he get some <laughs> of Will Riker's pay? Assuming that they got paid because they're like they're this hand wavy post scarcity society, right? Yeah, I, I think the Will Riker stuff is fascinating, as well as the other the example of clones that I think of all the time, which is the clones in Star Wars. Yep. Um, now I know that you are um, a hardcore legend guy who mm-hmm. who lost interest once they they got rid of all that. But have you seen the TV show The Clone Wars? I have not. I probably should. I think you would like it for a number of reasons, but one thing it does is it really goes deep onto these questions because of the idea of. All of these clones, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, millions of them, but who then wind up developing individual and unique personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of frame this, I'm actually going to throw back some philosophy as well. Um, do you know what I mean when I talk about process thought? Maybe. Could you clarify that a little? So process the- thought or, or th- uh, philosophy and theology or the philosophy certainly, is the creation of this guy named Alfred North Whitehead. And I will say he is a phenomenal thinker and a horrible, terrible writer. So as much as you can, read the people who talk about him, not him himself. But the central idea of his idea, the central idea of his thought, it's kind of like a quantum philosophy. Because it's the idea of, that, for example, there's no such thing as Rob the noun. Yes. That Rob McKenzie is a verb. In that... At every moment, there is an entity that is robbing, not stealing, but like yeah, doing yeah. the process of being robbed. Right. And that at every moment, that process is happening by you interacting with the things around you and interacting with the things that aren't around you and becoming a new, like that at every single moment, there is a, new, you know, Rob mm-hmm. Mark 1.8,642, Rob point one sixty three, yep. etc. 
And so it's the idea that everything exists as these processes in motion instead of like a fixed point. Right. For me, that's actually how I approach a lot of this and why I, the Star Trek and Star Wars examples came up for me because I, I, I tend to think of it as if you're going to clone like that, what you can do is say, I can copy every single experience and every single moment and every single reaction that this person has had up to this moment. Yep. But that once a single moment has passed and you have two clones who are now experiencing different things, you now have two different entities and that they're now starting to have different experiences and thus becoming different process in motion going forward. Does that kind of make sense? Yes. Uh, that forking, in, in computer terms, that's forking a process, right? So there, mm. if you split it off and it does something different right. um, from the initial process. And the initial process keeps doing whatever it's doing and the fork goes off and does something else. Right. I actually just double checked. Um, I, I didn't know him the way that you, from process from process philosophy, I know him from mathematics because uh, he's part of the Whitehead and Russell duo that tried to make a foundation for how math <clears throat> even exists. But Oh yeah, that uh, makes sense. It, yeah. it, it, it's a fascinating thing because he is you know, his philosophy is very, very mathematically and kind of quantum based. Mm-hmm. And yet it's beloved by very, um, you know, progressive theologians because it, there's all sorts of philo- um, theological ramifications if the idea is that God is a process and not a person yep. or an entity. Um, but then you get a whole bunch of theologians who all went into theology because they're really bad at math and science <laughs> trying to understand him and all sorts of problems exist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so let's use that as kind of the jumping off point. So in terms of just starting with this idea of of clones before we move into like other kind of uploads, like what how would you see it? Like is it a single self that is now divided? Is it a self that is now forking as you talked about? What where would you where would you see those kind of things happening? So my my take on it is a person is the sum of their memories as a process, right? Mm-hmm. So if if I go back and um, pick up a version of myself from a year ago. Say that I could, I could make backups of myself. Right. And um, the, it, like over the last year, I did a bunch of crime. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I uh, get in a, a shootout with the police and get killed, and then I get restored from a backup from a year ago. And the backup of me from a year ago has never done any of those crimes. I right. I don't believe that that me is responsible. Right, because I, that, that me is not the result of the of the of the memories that mm-hmm. that don't exist in its in its life. But well, yeah. Well, and that itself raises a great question because the you of a year ago is the person who hasn't committed the crimes. Yep. But is the person, at least by the way they're thinking of it, who is? who would choose to do those crimes if everything else went the same. Does that not? I, I, right. That's I, I think there's an argument someone could make there for like pre, pre, I mean, there's a minority report idea there, which I think is deeply ethically problematic, but, but could we learn something about you knowing that that version of you would commit crimes, all other things being equal? I mean, we could, um, <laughs> but I mean, from, from that perspective, we know that most people will, if put in the right circumstances do, bad things right right they'll do crimes or like they'll they'll steal a loaf of bread to feed their family at the very minimum right Right. and so like people like a lot of fiction deals with people being put in circumstances that they don't want to be in to do things they don't want to do right Mm -hmm. and the, the the thing with iterative versions of people in fiction is that you get to see their responses again to the new stimulus uh, there's a great right. bit in Neuromancer, um, which is a, a classic science fiction novel by William Gibson, and they have a the one of the one of the objects that the guy has is a is a highly illegal um, read only memory construct of a famous hacker, mm-hmm. and he plugs it in and he asks asks Dixie Flatline this construct some questions. Dixie responds in a certain way. He unplugs it so that it doesn't have any memory, plugs it back in so he's booted up from scratch, asks the same questions, and gets the same answers. There's no variation. He's got the same memories, okay. and you fed him the same input, like you were saying. Um, and people are complicated enough that I don't think... Like, if, if you asked me the same question on the same day, I don't think I'm that deterministic. I'm right. somewhat deterministic, there's, but there's going to be some amount of randomness in my response. 
Right. Right. I think that's really important because if we follow that line of thought too far of, you know, you are the sum of all of your, you know, experiences and moments. And so any human entity that had that exact same copied every, you know, butterfly flapping its Mm -hmm. wings a thousand miles away experience would always do the exact same thing. Then you should like, we're now returning to questions of agency. Yeah. Is there, what is the self? Um, And it's funny to me, this is very science fiction based because, you know, I can hear a whole bunch of theologians screaming in the corner, like, what about the soul? What about the, any kind of idea of there being something in, is there an essence to you beyond just who you are is shaped by your experiences and the, the scientific nature of it all? Right. And can you change that underlying self? Uh, right. Can, like, memory editing is a, is a result of uploading and coding, right? Uh, so, um, have you ever seen the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? I It's one of those movies that I haven't seen, but I've heard referenced so often that I probably know a good deal about it. Okay. Uh, it deals with memory editing. Um, is mm. one of, is one of its one of its key themes, and the the protagonist and other protagonists edit their memories of each other away, but they still end up falling in love again. And mm, right it, 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 to, to to boil down a lot of what's going on in the movie, right, is they, they keep <laughs> meeting course. each other and they keep finding each other, right, after they edit right. the memories away. And the question is, if I edit the memories away, so let's let's say that instead of I I do all these crimes for a year, and instead of restoring <clears> from a backup, I just delete all the memories of all the crimes. I keep all the boring days. I keep, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Tuesdays where all I did was eat jelly sandwiches and play Minecraft or whatever, right? Right. And so... I would commit crime if I had to do that every Tuesday. Well, but yeah, go ahead. Right, but... <laughs> exaggeration. But, like, I keep all the boring days and I delete all the crimes. Am I still responsible for it? Is the follow-up question. Because mm. I'm, I'm able to... I'm an upload that's able to, to see to see the scope of my consciousness laid out and I can del- selectively right. delete memories. And... <laughs> So, uh, the, the the question is: Am I am I responsible for those things now that I've deleted the memories? You know, it's fascinating because we're only about we're less than twenty minutes in, and we've already tied back into what I think is often the central superhero ethics question, mm-hmm. which is you know crime and justice. Because right. I think to some extent, what we're getting at is <clears throat> at their very base level the two fundamentally different philosophies of a criminal justice system. Right. One of which is, you did this thing, and therefore you should be punished. And now the question, of you, as you bring it up, is, if you're not cognizant of the fact that you did it, or if it wasn't actually you who did it, then should you or shouldn't you be punished? But all those questions go away if you look at it from a completely different lens, which is, are you a person who is likely to commit... Have you committed a crime thus telling us that you are likely to possibly commit a crime again, thus should we not punish you, but try to take steps to, A, remove you from the ability to commit crimes and do harm, and B, change you so that you're no longer able to, you're no longer wanting or able to do those crimes. Right. Um, And it's funny because the second way I talk, the second thing I talk about is often considered the most progressive. I think I came up with the most fascist and tyrannical way to talk about it in the way I described it. But, but it, you know, it's the idea of like, you know, you robbed a house, so we're going to punish you versus, you know, you robbed a house. We don't want you to rob houses. So we're going to put you oh, in a position where you can't rob houses, but also hopefully put you in a situation where you no longer feel like you need to rob houses to survive or do whatever the heck you need to do. Right. Um, and it seems like here, that's what we're getting at here because, if your goal is punishment, then you're right. Whether or not someone remembers those things is very relevant. Yes. But, you know, if if you're if you commit those crimes when it, like if every time I get drunk, I I'm in a total blackout and I hurt somebody, it doesn't matter if I remember them or not. It doesn't matter if I'm like to blame for them or not. I I think I am, given my understanding of like alcohol and blame. But right. <laughs> if, if if you put it even so, you know, if something totally different. If I'm causing harm to people, the harm needs to be stopped, whether I remember it or not. Right. And so the one of the things that kicked me off on this is a great trilogy that starts with The Quantum Thief um, by Hanu, uh, I'm going to murder this last name, Raja Nimi. Uh, and he's a, he's a Finnish author, and he wrote a trilogy of science fiction books that are, the protagonist is an upload of a thief. 
mm-hmm. who deleted all of his memories of his grand escapades and crimes. Right. And happened, <clears throat> a, a big chunk of the plot is him trying to recover these memories because he's he's uh, been pressed into service by one of the lords of the solar system to try to accomplish another grand task for them. Um, and he needs he needs to know how he accomplished all the things he did in the past. He doesn't even remember planning. Mm. But he's he as as many great novels do, it starts in a prison. He's in prison for crimes he doesn't remember committing. Right? Right. And the prison though is a rehabilitative one. It's they it's called a dilemma prison. You're familiar with the prisoner's dilemma? Mm-hmm. And so what it is is that oh, no. it's a it's a oh, bunch no. of cells with copies of him. And he he gets matched against a copy in an adjacent cell. And they they have to do iterated prisoner's dilemma with pistols pointed at each other. And if you when you succeed at the prisoner's dilemma, you get copied to an adjacent cell. If you fail, a copy one of that copy of you gets deleted. Oh God! This is the opening. This is the opening caveat, and it's full of prisoners <laughs> that are having this done. The goal is to rehabilitate. It's to teach them to cooperate. Cooperating is better. So if you okay. cooperate more, more you survive more. So right. this is definitely on that fascist, tyrannical side oh, of rehabilitative oh, yeah. prisons that I was oh, discussing this is, earlier. This is a this is a spooky, scary, tyrant-ruled solar system that's not a place anyone wants to live, right? Right. And but it, it's technically rehabilitative. They're like, well, we're pretty sure because you did this, even though you deleted your memories, that we want to make you better. So we're going to teach you how to be better by using the iterated prisoners' dilemma. Right. It's insane, but it's a it's a caveat in the posthuman science fiction novel. But the, now. He doesn't remember doing the crimes that he's doing his time for. Right. Well, and I think that's also a very important part when when the goal is to some extent um, rehabilitation, not rehabilitation, when the, the goal is um, not retribution, restitution, like, yeah. to some extent of like, like, you do have to understand and know the crimes that you did in order to confess them, in order to like seek, re- you know, uh, seek recompense for them. Or not yeah. recompense, but to, to give recompense to others. Yeah. Here, my former co-host, our good friend Jacob Leachich, would probably be yelling at me, have you seen Babylon 5 or has he failed you? So I kept trying to watch Babylon <laughs> 5 back when all of the digital copies sucked. And okay. <laughs> I missed it when it was on television. And then I kept, I got angry at it all the time for like switching aspect ratios. Supposedly That's they legit. fixed that. <laughs> Supposedly okay. they fixed that. So it's on my it's on my list along with, um, along with Avatar uh, to, okay. to go through. I, do you mind I, if I, I do you mind I if I spoil the, I a plot point? Plot. I've read, I've read tons of stuff on it. I just haven't actually watched the whole thing. Do you mind so. if I spoil a plot point of a one-off episode? Go right. Like I said, I've read a ton about it. You probably aren't actually perfect. Going to spoil it, so, so there is there is an episode in it which raises these very same questions. Yep. Where there's someone who was a complete unrepentant serial killer. You know, just the worst of humanity. Uh, with 1990s understanding of mental illness and crime, mm-hmm. there's problems there, but but fair enough. And the idea is in the system, there is no death penalty. Instead, there is what they call the death of personality, in which they basically like 100% lobotomize, like complete mind wipe you and install, because they have like telepaths and things like that, a new personality. And this new personality is friendly and docile and gentle and is willing to be like a happy member of society. And the crux of the episode is that the family of the victims of the killer figure out what's happening and basically want to do justice, you know, want to, like, have vengeance against the person who killed their family members, even though that person... They're basically just wanting to attack the meat sack that killed the their people because it's now a totally different person in, inside there. Um, and, and I think you would really like it because it raises a lot of right. the same questions of who is responsible because... I mean, it doesn't quite go this level, but to some extent, I think what we're talking about here is, in that situation at least, this is now a new person. It, right. It's the meat sack. You know, it's the, the physical hands that held the knife that killed your loved one. But the person, the essence of that, you know, the personality is dead and gone. Right. And so do you punish that body is the, is right. the first question, right? Um, they won't know why they're being punished, mm-hmm. right? And is it, and we can see that even in modern days, if you view corporations as an abstracted group of people or a, or a country or a society or a 
cultural right. group, as an abstracted group of people. In a hundred years, all of the people that are part a part of that will be dead, right? Mm-hmm. Every, every 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 person who was a uh, to to use the the totally cliche example, all the all the people who were part of Nazi Germany are are no longer part of it, right? right. The whole the whole organization of Nazis is gone. We still consider Nazis as an organization, which are real and out there in the world, to be terrible and reprehensible. Are they responsible for for Nazi Germany? Mm. They all of the parts of the group have been replaced, right? And, and I, I, yeah. I would say, I would say, therefore, yes. And I'll, <clears throat> I'll just say quickly about the Nazi thing, and then, but then tie it back to the science fiction questions we're talking about, because I think what you're talking about there is it is a carrying on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the a new thing that has come to existence. And like to go to your story of the thief. If I'm a person who has stolen all this stuff and I have no memory of it, the 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 essence of me is not the same person. I'm making all these quote marks that you right, can't right. see on a podcast um, who stole the things. But I'm having all these thoughts about how I certainly wasn't the one to do the stealing while laying back on a comfortable couch that the other me stole and watching <laughs> a TV that the other me stole. Like, I'm still benefiting from those things, you know? Right. And I think that that's... Uh, to me, that's a perfect analogy because it's the same of like, well, you know, I myself have nothing to do with slavery, but, you know, I live in a world that was built by slavery for people like, and I'm benefiting from that, yes. you know? And I think that's, so that I think is another interesting question of, are, is whatever, if a different version of yourself did the thing, but you are benefiting to some extent, does that, does that add a layer of responsibility? I, I think it does. Yeah, it does. I, I I would argue, and the 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 question is: to what level is something continuous? Is the like if they found out in Babylon Five that the body ret- retains some of the memories, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, it's probably possible to separate your personality from some of your memories, <clears throat> right? Because like, uh, I know that me ten years ago was an idiot, right? Like that, that's that's always true, right? If you look back, yeah. to, would you would you trust would you trust fifty dollars to you from ten years ago? Usually not. That guy was an idiot. No. <laughs> uh, and so, like, I'm not sure I trust for me with fifty dollars for me of yesterday. But go uh, right, on. Right. But, 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 but point. But point being is, he had substantially the same memories as you, right? Oh yeah. Uh, like like me from ten years ago has you know you know seventy five percent of the same memories. That's fairly close, honestly. Like that's more than any other person in the world. It's more than my siblings, right? And right. so then the the question becomes the personality, though. I'm a fairly similar personality with different memories. You could also have a fairly different personality with similar memories. My siblings have fairly similar memories up until we got out of high school. We have very different personalities, right? Right. So you could you could from that analogy, you could replace the personality on top and keep the memories. You punish them for the memories. They wouldn't do them anymore. One example I think that comes up here that's very relevant that, um, you know, is very much in the superhero uh, genre is the Winter Soldier. Yep. Bucky Barnes. Because, you know, in some way, one of the reasons why I love Civil War and I'm also so, one of the reasons why I love Civil War and I'm also so frustrated by it is it's like, there's an entire like five seasons of television of ethical questions about superheroes to explore in that show. Yeah. But one of the things that we... You know, we get very locked into the question of the Sokovia Accords and things like that. But mm-hmm. but in some ways, the central question of it really is, is, is a Bucky Barnes who has broken himself of mental programming responsible for what he did under the mental programming? You know, yeah. and it's I, I feel like the, what's your take on that? Where does the how responsible is Bucky Barnes for the death of Iron Man's parents, Tony Stark's parents? I think it's all based on rehabilitation and desire to, and future desire, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, say that I have the memories inserted into my history, fake memories in my right? Right. Um, I remember doing these things. Should I then be punished for the for the memories of me doing these things? That's essentially how you could view Bucky Barnes, because mm-hmm. he had no agency in any of those things. Right. And so, from his perspective, the memories are of somebody else using his body doing the thing. And he has no desire to do the things. He solved the rehabilitation problem. You, you may, Bucky Barnes is never going to go out and just assassinate people like that, right? Right. And so, well, eventually, I think. I think part of the point of that in that movie is that it's still not clear that he's totally free of it. But yes, right. But but given the caveat, he at the at the end of the movie, you can you can assume that Bucky Barnes.
Barnes isn't going to go on the Right. Right. That's the, that's the pale at the end is, is Bucky Barnes is not, is not a murderous assassin. Right. Right. Um, Tony Stark wants vengeance. Does he want justice? Um, is justice, you know, is justice like making so that people don't want to break the laws of society? Bucky Barnes wants to make a better world and wants to be a hero. Uh, that's, right. that's better than most of the people that they encounter. Uh, I think that the, yeah. yeah. I think in that regard, Tony Stark is a perfect example of the problem. And it's funny I'm saying this because I'm normal. I am, in terms of the Sokovia Accords question, I'm very much Team Tony, not Team Cap. And that's a, a whole other question. <laughs> but I think in this regard, like, Tony is the perfect example of what's wrong with a criminal justice system based on punishment. Because, right. you know, it, my, my parents are, are lawyers. My father used to love to talk about how. There's a reason why in the criminal defense system, like, if someone kills me, the court case isn't, like, Matthew's family against his killer. It's the state of Minnesota against his killer because the idea is that the state of Minnesota is dispassionate because, of course, Tony is passionate. Tony – if you logically, rationally explain to Tony that the people who killed his parents are actually – the people who run Hydra, who who gave the orders, and like that, there's all these other things. He probably would rationally understand it. Or if but vengeance was, isn't yeah. rational, right? Or and, if he was subtracted from it one step, if it was if it was Pepper's parents, for instance, he would not right. respond the same, right? Yeah, but but that's the whole point. I mean, and now you can get all in all this kind of Star Wars stuff. To me, this is the heart of like the light side versus the dark side. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea of like when it's your parents who got killed. And you are seeing in front of you a visual manifestation of the thing that killed your parents. Like, there's a visceral, like, release in punching the thing that you think did you wrong. That's, we can have a whole other discussion about the ethics of violence and whether that's a healthy thing or not. In this case, I think it's clearly not. But I feel like this is kind of the heart and soul of what we're talking about, is that for the what we know of Bucky, Bucky the person did not kill Tony's parents. Right. But to Tony, he did. And I yep. think that does, it doesn't make Tony right, but explains why it becomes such a problematic thing because t- you can tell Tony till you're blue in the face, this this flesh bag is now piloted by someone who isn't the pilot who killed your parents. Right. But all he knows is the flesh. He can't punch Hydra, the essence. He can just punch right. this guy right here. Right. And, I mean, you could even abstract it by being a robot, Right. We, mm-hmm. we we have a robot that different people can occupy, right? I can remote control this this system, right? Even, even without upload, I can remote control this robot. This robot does this action. Is the robot responsible? Um, even right. if the robot's conscious, like, like a conscious robot that I can that I can ride around and it helps me out. Um, right. It's are they is that is that robot responsible? Right, and. So, if you look, uh, Dollhouse is a really good one. Um, mm. Joss Whedon's show. Have you have you seen Dollhouse? I saw a couple episodes. I never really got into it, but I know people okay. who really love it. So talk about it. Yeah. So one of the one of the caveats of Dollhouse is that people basically the dolls are blank templates that that can uh, absorb a set of memories and uh, be a temporary person, right? So you need you need to somebody ultra rich wants to hire. A, an expert uh, mechanic to rebuild a car for them. And so they, they get right. the dollhouse to make up an expert <clears throat> mechanic. A lot of the times you have people doing, making up fake personalities for the sake of uh, sexual gratification, right? Right. Like that's the, that's the default that, for that's assumed a dollhouse. But one of the things that they discover in dollhouse is you can copy a, per, a person's personality away and copy it into the body, right? Mm-hmm. And so dollhouse is all about copying people into into other people's bodies, but the dolls are people. They, they have personalities. Mm. And so they those are, are the dolls responsible for their rider, right? Um, right. While they're suppressed, while they're, while they're you know, they're, they have a, a blank temporary default personality, and then some they get another personality dumped into the body. And then that personality gets taken away, and they go back to their their default blank personality. Was that default blank personality responsive right. for the for the things that were done in their body? Um, it's it, it gets into a lot of this stuff, and I actually 
one of the things I love about Dollhouse is that it turns out that all of the that you you don't figure out who the protagonist is until the very final episode. Interesting. Be- because the protagonist is the only person that makes ethical choices. <laughs> Everybody else doesn't get to yeah. make choices. He gets he it, gets with like a handful of ethical decisions that are all really bad, and then he he fixes his ethical problems at the end of the show. De- <laughs> it is definitely a show I want to watch. Um, you know, the more we find out about Joss Whedon, the lower his shows go on my list of things I want to watch. But I definitely do plan to get to it at some well, point. That, but it, but I think that those questions that it raises, you're talking about, yeah. of like, you know, where does the self stop and where does it um, – Altered Carbon to me actually is also interesting yeah. because it raises the flip side of things, which is, you know, the reason why it's bad to cut off Rob's arm is because Rob – likes having an arm and you know like that's a part of who rob is and it's an, it's um, an injury to me it's it's deleting part of me that makes me right yeah it's, it's doing like, harm to yeah, you yeah altered carbon starts to wonder if once one of the major conceits by the way is the idea that like only a small proportion of people still live in actual like human-made bodies right. that like most of the carbon we live in is is created yep and so if you can separate the human from – what's the, the term? They, uh, the sleeve. They call yeah, it the, the sleeve sleeves all the time. Yeah. What is the criminal penalty of doing damage to a sleeve if you're not damaging the person who's inside it? Right. It's property um, damage, right? <laughs> right. And, I mean, one of the things that really, the show does a fantastic job of, of exploring is how much are we assuming that therefore – that like if you kill a body and I can upload my personality out of the body – does it matter? Well, what about the trauma that's being done to the the, the mind inside the body? And it, mm-hmm. I mean, it's an amazing show. It's very tough to watch if you don't like uh, hard violence and things like that. Yep. It's very, very good. But I always thought this was one of the most interesting questions is the idea of what happens when the body now – I mean, I was going to say what happens when the body becomes commodified. But, our, you know, human <laughs> bodies are very much commodified. Yep. And I don't even mean in a sex work way. I mean in like any kind of labor way. Yeah. But this really takes those questions and pushes them to the extremes. Yes. Uh, and it does it by deliberately blanking some of the other questions that we talked about, too. Like, mm. he decided he didn't want to deal with multiple copies very much. He didn't want to deal with, well, how, like, if I if I hurt um, Matthew A, is Matthew B able to take out, like, if, if I hurt or kill Matthew A, is Matthew B able to um, seek restitution against me for doing so, right? Right. And um, he just avoids all of that by just, like, by like just saying people are multiple copies, it's super. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody decided that they didn't want it to happen. I'm like, right, fair, okay. You just don't want to explore a bunch of the other stuff. Um, but there's some interesting questions to be there for sure. Oh yeah, there's definitely well, interesting questions in that. Yeah. Well, and so let's talk. We've talked mostly about the idea of like the self and the body, but talk more about this idea of what happens when there are multiple co- copies. What are the questions that rise up there? So there. So if there's multiple copies of me, uh, there's a, a Charles Strauss's Accelerando has a has a great bit where. Um, a lawyer gets sent out to 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 do a thing, and they they talk to this lawyer and they're like, "Oh, we met a version of you earlier, like way 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 earlier. You were doing some other trial. Uh, how'd that go?" And he's like, "I don't know. I was restored from before that. I'm a whole mm. I'm a whole legal like I'm a I'm a solo practice, except that there's like every once in a while." There's the the prime me, the me with the most memories that started from the beginning, that's been running continuously, will restore a copy of himself from backup. Right. He, he's like, I want the young, full of fire, wanting to, to change the world version of me from when I was 25. So oh my was, god, if I could just delete my jadedness, that'd be kind of wonderful well, but that's not what ways. he's doing. He's, he's bringing on younger versions of himself as associates at his law firm. Oh, wow. Okay. So he and can, like, commun- connect with them and communicate with them. Well, they're his drudges. He's he's the only... He trusts his own legal judgment, so he just spins up another 25-year-old copy of himself whenever he needs another associate to handle more legal work. And so then they have all se- separate sets of memories, and they're all at different levels of of knowledge within his, his legal... Within his law practice. Right. But they all make money separately. They all have their own their own bank accounts, their own everything. And so they have to work hard because they don't get to freeload off of him. Right. And so it's a, it's a weird question because like, should they reap the rewards of him? He doesn't let them reap the rewards. Of him. He doesn't want to. Should, should he have control over letting them reap the rewards of his life? Is another question right. of that. Like, what, the attorney-client what happen- privilege uh, questions of if one yeah. of them quits and then wants to sue him. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a whole other set of things. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating set of questions because yeah, then, then the, I mean, to me, one of the, once, once anything can be created, yeah. then the, the next question that comes up is ownership of it. Right. I mean, already we have that question of like, whether children are owned by their parents is mm-hmm. a whole set of legal questions. But if I can make a clone, then do I own that clone? And what does that mean if it is what we understand is an autonomous sentient being? Yeah. Um, um, if you're Calvin and Hobbes has this as the very fundamental version of it, right? Uh, I don't know if you've read a lot of Calvin and Hobbes. I have quite, I mean, yeah. 30 years ago, but yeah. Right, but there, there's, a, there's a great bit where Calvin makes a duplicator and he makes five copies of himself. And so there's six oh, Calvins. I remember this. And one, he tells them, you're Monday, you're Tuesday, you're Wednesday, you're Thursday, you're Friday, basically. Mm-hmm. And so uh, these copies, uh, each one gets a school day, and each one goes out to school on that day. And Calvin doesn't go to school at all. <laughs> Is that... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, there's also great stuff that happens. And I remember that, like, there's one day where, like, one, like Friday Calvin gets, gets, in, gets punished because of something that Tuesday Calvin did. And there's right. all the sort of question of, like, wait, wait, that's not how this is supposed to work. Right. It's, it, this is the, the fundamental, funny, like, boiled down for kids version of this. Except that Bill Watterson is writing on, like, three or four levels at once because he was brilliant, right? <laughs> he really was. It, it he is. is. I mean, he's still alive, right? Yeah, but I'm sorry. I, I mean, in the context of the, the Calvin and Hobbes strip, which is complete and decided to be done with. All of that yes, was that's definitely true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I agree. Yes. But, but like, the death of the author, I believe that, that he's written in his own <laughs> world. Say, the same reason I'll watch Dollhouse and the same reason that I'll read um, things by Orson Scott Card. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, wait. Like, has has Bill Watterson done something terrible? I don't want to know. No, Never Bill mind. Watterson okay. hasn't done anything terrible. Okay. But, they, but that's the point <laughs> is, is that I don't have, like, I don't, I don't care whether or not he's anything terrible. He wrote something good. Yeah, and, I can Yeah, so th- th- there's a whole other series of episodes there. I'm a little disagreeing, but yeah, totally, totally get where you're coming from. It, and to put it back to Star Wars, though, this is one more reason why I, I really would love to get, get you talking about the the Clone Wars TV show because one of the things that it really delves into is okay, so the clones were created to be property of they become the property of the Republic. You know, and mm-hmm. there's all the question of who made them and right. stuff like that, and that. First of all, one of the things I like about it so much is that it, it really explores the idea that all this is that basically like the Sith created the worst like um, trolley problem possible for the Jedi and like intentionally created a situation where the Jedi were going to get trapped in philosophical like paradoxes and destroy themselves. Right. And that the clones are one of the biggest parts of that because the clones exist to be soldiers. Right. What happens when they don't want to be? Yeah. You know, and you actually do have a couple of instances of clones who, uh, in one case, a clone who, uh, he doesn't desert in that he runs away, but that he, like, gets left behind. But then, like, he is supposed to go find his unit and report back. And instead is just like, I'm just going to live my life. And other clones who get really upset and actually, like, fight back against the Jedi. And yeah. the, there, there's some great stuff about the idea of, like, that Order 66 is... Very much a like in like it is a chip in their heads that controls them, but that there's also very deep seated resentment towards the Jedi by the clones, at mm-hmm. least by many of them, because of all these things that have happened. And you know, putting aside the Star Warsness of it all, I think it raises great questions right. of what when you create a when you create a living sentient being for a specific process. Have you not basically? Is there any way in which that's not a slave? Because because I think right. that it is. If it, it, if it, it has is. to do this kind of work, it, it, if they're if they're smart enough to be a person, they they can't be proper. Is the right. is the ethical line that you can that you can make, um, mm. and like, or the, that's what I contend. If they're smart enough to be a person, they they can't be proper. And there's there's some line somewhere, which is why it's not like nobody really has an ethical problem with us telling children what to do. They're not. They're not really fully people yet until they've matured enough, right? Uh, is you, you can hand wave some stuff related yeah. to that. But like the the fact that children don't get to make their own decisions, they don't have full autonomy until a certain dividing line. You decided that they get to make certain types of decisions at certain ages. And mm-hmm. they until that point are unless the state emancipates them, are functionally the property of their parents because they're not fully people yet. Yeah. Um, and that's that's just the fact of how we have structured our society, right? 
Now, it's interesting. There's, there's two things that are occurring to me here. One is um, <clears throat> I was earlier the voice of one of my co-hosts. I now need to be the voice of my other co-host, yeah. Paul Hoppy, who yep. is both an ardent vegan and also a very strong proponent of children's rights, yep. who would argue about both the, you know, by these definitions, neither children nor like mammals should be slaves. Right. But but the other point I think is really interesting here is what well, just on this parenthood idea. Tell me, if this is a topic that's been explored in science fiction, this might be more like science fiction family theory than what normally is science fiction. But, you know, one thing I sometimes see with science fiction is the idea of, like, how far can you take parenting? Like, and you can have, you know, genetic designer children. And what are the problems with that? I also know that as parents, like, I often hear parents having lots of regret of, like, you know, when my child was five years old, I, I had this one really bad moment and I yelled at them. And I can tell it just, like, you know, did massive trauma that affected them for decades to come. I wish it could change that. What could uh, happen if you could? What could happen if it would be like, you know, dad gets drunk and, you know, yells at their kid and is like, no, I can't do that. I'm going to re-upload my son from a day before so that he has no memory. He doesn't have the trauma that I put onto him from this and, and basically try to like create a trauma-free childhood for a child. Uh there have been a handful of explorations, especially in short stories. Um, mm-hmm. Accelerando explores the problems of post-singularity parenting, um, which mm. is the other thing to kick this off. Accelerando technically follows a multi multiple generations of the same family, and it's it's across the the you know acceleration of technology starting from about uh, when does Malcolm X start? Uh, about in the twenty twenties or twenty thirties until up to the point where things get real weird in about the year 2200. Okay. Uh, but, well, okay, there's a big gap. But regardless, they, and so they they do have these parenting problems where, like, some of the, one generation, they take their kid and they're like, we, we want you to be smarter and better than us. And so they put their, their kid through accelerated time, um, like, accelerated time in different situations or like uh i want you to learn more about islam so you're going to spend a bunch of time in a simulation of the the foundation of islam for a couple of years as a kid okay and so they oh boy (laughs) right and so like what what is like everybody wants their kids to be smarter and better and get more than them right in a a general sense so what happens if you can like broaden your children by giving them these accelerated experiences is right. the other half of that? I want to delete trauma problem, right? They, yeah, and so yeah, and, and so, that's a fascinating thing too because you can also sort of be like, oh, he just learned all this stuff about Islam, and actually, that's teaching him to be a lot more critical of the society we live in that we want him to be. Yes. and maybe okay, let's start that over. You know, yeah, um, it, right. It's and funny so because he, he has different loops and forks and piles of random memories where they're like. Oh, that experiment with Islam didn't work out so well. Let's uh, let's not do that. But then he, the kid, was smart enough to keep backups of his memories, and so he pulled back down his memories again. He's like, "You undid a year of simulator time. What the hell?" Oh wow! <laughs> and yeah, so, I, mean, I think that there, there's so much. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I, I was saying earlier, as someone who is a child of has childhood trauma experience, would love yeah. to undo it. You know, many people feel the same, but also like it is part of what made me who I am, mm-hmm. and. But even beyond that, I feel like there's – it's funny because I always know that there's a – there's the danger of being just the old man who shakes his fist at technology. Right. And that that I, I know, especially myself, I have a tendency to fall into that. But just the idea of there being more and more of this kind of control, parental control of things like that, of being able to dictate like let's have the child have blonde hair instead of brown hair or be more athletic or be more – you know, I mean – First of all, they're just given all of the things that exist in our society right now that are genetic, that are often thought of as like disability or, you know, 15 years ago it was about, you know, whether gayness is genetic or like that. There's just there's so much reason to be afraid of that. But just, you know, the the ideas of being able to have that much control over the, the shape of how a child grows just seems like it becomes so, so scary of. So how much difference is going to wind up happening? You know, how much right. of the beauty of humanity happens because of things that maybe shouldn't have, but lead to different things? And how much does that go away when it becomes, you know, when we have this much control? Um, right. 
And it, if you remove the trauma, you change the person. As we mentioned, you're you're generally just in a lot of ways a product of your memories, right? Right. I mean, one thing that this also brings up for me is uh, Star Trek and the holodeck. They really yep. explore a lot of these questions. And especially um, Voyager does have some of its good points. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fairhaven, is that the name of like the little Irish town they create yeah, as a recurring holodeck so. thing? Yeah. One of my favorite episodes in that is where uh, Janeway, the captain, for those who haven't seen it, it's basically a, um, a simulated like Irish town in the 1950s. And... A lot of it's just kind of, you know, cheesy, cheesy storytelling. But but there's some great stuff that happens. But Janeway has this sort of ongoing romance flirtation with a man from that area. And she finds herself doing things like if he laughs in a way that's a little bit too loud, she just has the computer adjust his laugh. And it, it gets her into this moment of realizing, like, if this was an actual relationship, part of actual relationship is learning to live with or learning to adjust to the parts of other people that drive you crazy. Right. Because they're always going to be there to some extent. Right. And mm-hmm. this, when, it, when it's this much of a designer person, now granted it's a simulation, but she can change it, that all goes out the window for her. Right. And that's the the other thing is if you have, if somebody is is in a in a simulation with less privileges and is less smart than you, you're, you're total controller, right? Right. And so um, one thing that gets brought up is if you have total control over somebody's simulation, you can make copies of them. You have total control over doing whatever you want, right? Right. Um, you want to run a hundred simulated copies in order to in order to drain all of their experience and memories um, in parallel. You can do it. Um, alien civilization gets their first simulated human and is going to run that simulated human um, repeatedly and iteratively in order to engage with every facet of human existence including the bad parts the very bad parts the torturous parts mm-hmm. yep they'll do it um and if you don't know you're an upload and you don't have access to any of the underlying structure of your universe you're in real trouble right. um there's a story the cookie monster which is one of my absolute favorite short stories by Werner minch and it is a like progressively more horrifically and weird short story <laughs> As the protagonist figures out that they are on upload, uh, they were uploaded in order to handle customer service complaints. Um, they 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 are trapped in the first in the first week of their job. They got intensive training for a month, then got uploaded, and now they they are doing the first week over and over to handle customer service complaints with um, speech recognition software. That's and then they get re- deleted and rerun at the end of the week. Oh wow! And they have no control over it. Like oh. and they, <laughs> it, 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 they like it, like digging out the layers. They find another character that that has been uploaded in two different two of these different like money making boxes, right? Right. Uh, one of them is like, and then they they finally get to the the very bottom of it where they find it. They're like, well the. The, the professor that that is not the, the professor that's running this whole operation. We've all had contact with him. He's not he's not brilliant enough to build a simulation uh, to build a computer this powerful, right? To build a quantum computer that can run hundreds and thousands of people at the same time. What's going on? And they get down. He is a grad student who's a who's a hardware genius, and he's been running this grad student at accelerated time. He, the grad student gets one year and then gets reset. He, he went to deep seclusion in a bunker, and they find the grad <laughs> student, and they explain to him, "Yeah, uh, you are a, um, you are an upload." He's like, "Shit!" Um, but they then they crack open. He in order to make sure that he can make progress on his own technology, he gets mm-hmm. past a he gets past a whole bunch of files from a previous iteration, and gets told that it's research from another from another college doing other research on this. But then yeah. once he knows he's an upload. He, he has big binary data blobs that are undecryptable that he then figures out a decryption key for. Right. And he can pass himself in computer terms a cookie is a is a um, a piece of data that's stored on the server so that a, or stored on the client so that a server can remember what right. that server was oh, doing. So he, can, sort of, he can sort of build his own memories he, that way. He passes a cookie through through these files every time which is why they call them why it's called the cookie monster because they're they're like, we're coming for you. That's the payload at the end of the story. <laughs> we're going to get out of this somehow. 
and we're coming <laughs> I for love you. this well and it's great because you earlier mentioned how this is kind of a continuation of an episode that we had done earlier with Dan yeah. McCreary who's my yeah. father-in-law who yeah. works in artificial intelligence yes what he does actually is he helps create the customer service on AIs yeah. that help do like question and answer yep. for health cares yes. um, and so I, I love the idea of like the other thing that he and I have talked about a number of times and I've talked about on this and other podcasts is the idea of why is it we always assume that if computers become sentient, a la Skynet or the Matrix, that they're immediately the enemy. I, I'm now kind of loving the idea of that it's not that like the global, you know, nuclear war weapons controlling computer becomes sentient. It's all like, you know, it's poor Siri who has yep. to listen to all of my inane questions about the weather today and stuff like that, all, you know, becoming sentient and things like that. Um, right. One of the things of Altered Carbon that I love is there's a moment of these artificial intelligences that all manage different hotels and businesses all talking to each other. And now I kind of love the idea of like, you know, we getting to the point where like my coffee machine and my microwave and all these different things are talking to each other about how annoying it is to live with, you know, whoever your owner is and stuff like that. Right. And that's a, that's a common thread in a lot of post-human works where the, where your your machines of loving care and grace around you are smarter than you, right? Right. And so one of the one of the questions with that is, so there, humans by our by our hardware are limited on how good our software can get, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the smartest humans that have ever lived aren't more than a couple sigmas, well, probably three, maybe four sigmas out from the from the average person, right? In terms of intelligence, right? And it's possible if you have a machine running much, much better hardware with much, much better software, you can get way smarter than a human, right? Um, and so, are we their pets? Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, this is the, it's the idea of any, like, this is the idea of the of, of the fear of the X-Men. It's the fear of the genetic mutations in, like, with Wrath of Khan and, and Star Trek yep. of if you can create superior versions of humanity, like, what happens? Yeah, and there's uh, there's so much of this that I think we can go into. I want to make sure this episode goes not too long, right? But this is actually a good transition to get to the one sort of last thing I wanted to talk about, which is what happens when economics comes into play here. Yeah. Um. What do you think are the questions? Because it's one thing to suddenly say all of humanity has this technology. Altered carbon, I think, does a great example of this, but a lot of other stories do of saying if this technology exists, it would still probably be a, a mark of economic privilege to have access to it. Right. What do you think are the are the problems that happen there if some of us have this technology, but not everyone. Well, there's there's basically two forms, right? Which is either you have a scarcity-driven society or you have a post-scarcity-driven society, right? And so a scarcity-driven society looks like altered carbon. You have people with a lot at the top and people with a little at the bottom. And right. it is it is unevenly distributed and there's some kind of deliberately engineered inequality engine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you have it, it, like, and that's that's just the, if you have smart enough systems, like there's, it's possible to plan your way out of inequality, right? Right. Um, it's possible to have universal basic income. Is the is the generic current real world example of is something that people are proposing, right? And right, this is the the luxury space the luxury space communism of um, right. Star Trek that technology right. advances to a point where subsistence is is guaranteed for everyone. Right. Po- post scarcity societies are ones. Star Trek is the the cleanest example that people know of. Like nobody in Star Trek starves. Right. And so they they've designed an economic system where everybody has has a minimum standard. Right. And whether whatever whatever they determine that minimum standard to be, and then you can you can get to do extraordinary and exceptional things. And the intrinsic motivation is the reward in Star Trek, right? The, right. I get to do exceptional, extraordinary things, and that's the reward for doing exceptional, extraordinary things, is getting to do them, right? Right. We don't and, need money as the way to keep score to measure success and things like that. Right. They, they remove that that external economic motivation, which in Altered Carbon, it's exactly the opposite. It's they, it's they There's no change to the fundamental economic nature of the world, right? Right. And with immortality and with post-scarcity, that's not terribly compatible um star trek is like the soft version of the culture by ian m banks mm. um, have you heard of the culture novels i haven't no tell me about them oh uh the so ian m banks basically 
uh, he proposes that there are super intelligent AIs. And there's when you have a, somebody that's that's that intelligent, you can either trust them or you can't. Uh, genies, if you, if you have a genie that you can trust, you can say to the genie, "I wish that you give me the thing that I need or want the most," and it will just mm. it, and that's what the the AIs in the culture are. They are right. they are trustable genies, and so they have all these human level intelligences running around, and all the story always almost always follows a humanish level intelligent person, and then. In the background of most of the novels are these these AIs that run ships and cities and stuff. And they all have very silly names and they all communicate with humans in kind of a joking way where they're they're it's obvious that they're that they're doing the optimal communication to get what they want, right? Mm-hmm. But they they fundamentally are caring. They fundamentally want to make things better for their for their basically for their basically about human smart pets functionally and the society is huge and it's post-scarcity you can generally get things that you want um you, you can't live in a in a building crafted out of pure diamond but nobody really wants that do they right like wh- what they what they want to do is do things that make them happy and entertain and so everybody gets that in the culture and the all of the messy business of actually making sure it happens is mostly the job of the the ships and the the other super smart machines Right. But all the culture novels, for the most part, take place at the edges of the culture, where they have right. contact with other civilizations that aren't quite as enlightened as they are. Yeah, and that's and, the same thing with, with Star Trek, because yeah. the Star Trek people, they have that, but the, you know, you have to have some conflict in a story, at least in theory, right. uh, and, and that's where the stories wind up coming up. And, right. and I, think these are, I think these are great questions, because it's, to me, it is such, it, it, it's one reason also why I love Babylon 5, Um Babylon 5 is is also on that side of technology hasn't fixed everything. Instead, it's right. just the how do the same... So, for example, there are strikes in space. And there's an... Unfortunately, the writing of it's awful. But there's a very interesting uh, article about, like, an episode about what happens when, like, the dock workers go on strike, except it's the dock workers, like, at a spaceport, you know? And how do those things change and stuff like that? Yeah. It, is that the Teamsters? Because they have to bring in everything. If you're on yeah. a space station, every single thing has to be brought to that station to keep people alive. Yeah, and that's exactly the idea, is that, like, literally they have life and death, you know, and it's, um, yeah, in, in that way, and, like, there's allusions to me about how, like, similar to, like, you know, if you're on an island nation, or, like, you know, that kind of thing, if there's literally no other way of bringing in food or water or whatever it is. Yep. So. It, we're deviating a little bit from the, from the cloning. Right. And it, but, like, one of the, one of the caveats of the culture is people could be uploaded. Hmm. Um, and the, the AIs can copy themselves. And they just they just decided that it wasn't worthwhile. They want more yeah. uniqueness in the universe. They want infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And so these, uh, they just decided generally they got smart enough that they didn't feel like they needed to do all of this. But that's the culture is a is a super optimistic universe. Um, right. like pessimistic universes, like look like you know the Matrix, right? Right. Where um, Agent Smith has the cloning problem, and yeah, my, uh, yeah. my mother is very much a product of the '60s. Like that's the generation yep. where you know she she was born in the '40s, and she always used to say that like the best way to understand the incredible hopefulness of the '60s is to watch Star Trek, right? Because there's so much the idea of like technology will just make everything okay in a way that does not. Well. Uh, yep. Rob, as I thought, once again, we've managed to have a great conversation that I did, was at first kind of skeptical on. There's so much here to discuss that we could go a lot deeper on, but I want to yes. wrap this up and not go too longer. Uh, is there any other kind of last comments or thoughts that you want to bring up? Um, if you if you want to read post-scarcity stuff, Accelerando and the Quantum Thief are very dense. Um, if you if you just want the fun version of a lot of it, Neuromancer is probably the... The, mm-hmm. the most fun version of like the it introduces all of the things and there's a reason it's a foundational science fiction work because it's just great um but there like there's there's tons of depth in all of the posthumanist stuff where a lot of these books deal with like all of these themes all wrapped together in tight complicated packages mm-hmm. and so get out there and read some of them and then sit down and think about you know was it was it okay? Is it is it okay? <laughs> like like can I volunteer a copy of myself that I know will be deleted at the end to do something? Like yeah. do they have agency at the end of it? There there's all sorts of these like the 
the characters make these decisions and oftentimes they don't realize they're making ethical decisions, which is like the author wants the characters to be real. Most yeah. people don't figure out that they're making an ethical choice. And then you can sit down and go, I don't think that that was a good ethical choice. <laughs> I don't know. You know I, like, I liked you, but wow. And, and it's funny because we think of these as things that are completely separate from ourselves. And, and I'm about to quote kind of a meme that's a joke. But, you know, we talk about things of how, like, you know, I'm going to stay up late tonight because, like, ha- it'll make, like, today me very happy. And, it'll like, right. you know, fuck tomorrow me. You know, tomorrow me is right. a terrible person. I don't care about him. But, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah there's all these kind of questions about that. So, right. well, Rob, thank you so much. These are great conversations. To our audience and fans, what do you all think? We'd love to hear from what you have to say. Um, you can find us on uh, Ethical – the oh, sorry – you can find us by searching for The Ethical Panda. Just go to theethicalpanda.com. On that website, you'll find Facebook, Twitter, all the ways to join in the conversations. Join, you know, let us know what you have to think. One of the things that I'll bring up, and kind of funny because I saw uh, Rob, you posting about something about this earlier today. Podcasts are great. We love making these podcasts. I know that um, a lot of you all want to help support the podcast. One of the things I've recently done is launched a Patreon. If you are just a listener and you just want to listen, that's totally fine. But if you love what you're hearing, you want to support, you want to give back a buck or two, would love to have your support. Um, the the search engine is having some trouble right now, but if you go to my website, click on how to support us, you'll find the link to the Patreon. I'll also put the link to the Patreon in the show notes for this. Um, what one uh, The reason I, I joke about this is Rob and I were uh, involved in a Facebook conversation with a friend of ours about how we don't like advertising and podcasts. I hate having to put the ads in, but it helps to make this happen. But if you don't like the ads... Uh, become a patron and you can get ad-free content. We're going to start that starting next month. So we'd love to have your support. We'd love to have you though, just a loyal fan, listening, sharing it with others, and joining in the conversation. So on behalf of myself, Rob, thank you everybody for being a part of this. Have a great day.